Welcome back to Editing Aloud. I have with me a panel of some of South Africa's best economic, financial and political journalists in a week in which President Cyril Ramaphosa has invited 1,500 people to his second investment conference. Um, Genevieve, what is he trying to achieve? What are his chances of achieving it? And is asking 1,500 people to the Santon Convention Center going to do it? I don't think so. I think it's more about uh, people like to be seen at these things. And like, oh, we're part of this great thing. And I guess there's a bit of shoulder rubbing, etc. Obviously, the president um, is looking for investment for South Africa, something we need. But is it likely? I, I did hear his speech this morning where he said he doesn't want this to be a talk shop and it should result in contracts. But what happened to the last investment conference? How many contracts came out of that? And are people going, are people, after Moody's and after the, budget, the medium term budget, are people prepared to put their money into South Africa? I'm not quite sure. I think in the end it might just be more of a talk shop. Uh, TJ, are people willing to put more of their money into South Africa? Well, the thing is, I think the, what the investment conference does is it gives the companies that are already investing the chance to sort of dress up their investments of the past year as something new or something progressive. So, I mean... <laughs> Even if it just, if it, even if it just shows something is happening, that's fine, in my opinion. Is that enough, Natasha? Um, I think the president this morning illustrated how last year's conference did yield some, some um, results. He did make specific announcements on the progress and specific announcements on the interventions that the government um, actually put in place after that conference. For example, the visa regime, um, you know, to attract skilled workers. Um, the, 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 the spectrum issue, um, which, which was released by CASA last Friday. So, so I think, you know, I think there's, he's, he was trying to show that last year's, you know, that this initiative is not just a talk shop um, and that last, you know, there is some progress from the, from the last conference. But I don't know whether it's, it's enough um, given, you know, the, the, the medium term budget last week and, and the, the subsequent um, action by Moody's. I, I'm, I'm still a little bit uncertain about whether it's enough. Actually, that's, that's the issue, Sikonati. And speaking of his, he had the platform this morning to investors local and global to, I suppose, answer some of the issues that were raised by the budget and the Moody's uh, actions. Do you think he has been using the platforms he's had since then to try and answer some of the concerns? Hillary, those questions and concerns don't need you to be calling even two people to the Sentin Convention Center. You just need uh, to make a declaration to cabinet. You just need, as the president of the republic, vested uh, with the powers that the constitution gives you to do these things that you need to do. Uh, let's, let, let, let's, let's talk about these things that they have been promising for the past. He's been president for how long now? 20 months or 24 months? What has he done? Yes, we have a, a new commissioner at SARS, we have a new prosecutor general, we have uh, whatever. What is being done to fix the economy? SAA, I'm sure you're tired now of a strategic equity partner. ESCOM, <coughs> Petro SA, do you want me to carry on? What has happened? Nothing. You don't need to be calling people uh, to send in to say, we actually are, are not just a talk shop. And, and uh, all of that time is being a lot of hot air. Sit down, get the job done. You've got executive powers as the president. You say you need to restructure ESCOM and break it into three, then do it. Stop talking. 
You said you're breaking South African Airways into three. Do it. Stop talking. You s tell us how are we getting to the required economic growth rate of four five percent? Instead, you're giving us feedback to say you are only giving us a, a half a percentage point growth this year. I was actually. I, I think we settled for two percent at this point. Genevieve, no, you listen. We are at zero point five <laughs> in, in February Rising during to the 1. budget. Seven, according to the budget in two thousand twenty-three. At the budget in February, Tito Mboweni said we will get 1.5. He is now admitted that we're only getting a third of that. At any rate, what rate does the government want of growth? So you, you, you decide that's where we're going and you put plans and you, 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 you get on with it. Genevieve, what, you, you said you listened to the speech this morning and, and I was also there. I mean, what, if you look at the speech, what was not in it that you would have liked to see in it? Well, I don't know, and I think Sikonati is right. What more can, can you say? And I think, if I'm, if I'm understanding Sikonati, we don't need to call investment conferences. If you actually do these things and actually split ESCOM up... would splitting ESCOM... You know, all those things that you say will, um, will help the economy. Then when the, the economy is doing better, investors will come without you having to call them to a conference and saying, this is what mm. we're doing, please come invest. So I get it, the, the action. I was actually having a conversation with someone, a colleague the other day, who was saying, because we know that Cyril Ramaphosa is not really a doer. He doesn't seem, he's more a negotiator, it seems. But why not give Tito Mboweni the gun and say, pull the trigger? Because Tito's not looking for love. Tito's not looking for the unions to like him. Tito's not looking to be popular. And then, and let Tito say, okay, that's it. I've got, um, I've got, don't know I've that got Tito would do it either. <laughs> Natasha, where is the Eskom CEO? Oh. I mean, why is this taking so long? And wh why is this and all the other appointments taking so long? What's, what, is con what is the blockage? The, you know, as even Moody said, it's politics. Um, and the difficulty is you have uh, Praveen Gordhan, who, who is, you know, whose political capital is, um, is, is waning uh, inside the ANC. That's the problem. You know, and, and um, as much as he's, he's trying to push forward and, and trying to, I mean, it took them ages to get this paper out. It should have taken them like weeks. So, so you know, as much as... Um, this is the ESCOM paper, which came out, in fact, only last week, the day before the budget. The day before the mm. budget, and it was meant to come out months ago. Um, so, so I think, you know, politics is really... Ha it, it's, it's sort of the, 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 anchor, the anchor that's pulling down the economy, and, and it's, it's something that Cyril Ramaphosa does, can't seem to navigate. I beg to differ. It's not politics that's pulling down the economy. It's the people like Cyril Ramaphosa, like Tito Mboweni, like Pravin Gordon, Those are the politicians. refusing to lead, Those refusing are the politicians. to do the jobs yes. that they have spent so many years trying to get. Yes. Now they've got the job, they are, they are simply refusing to lead. You, you, you're correct in saying Tito Mboweni does not want to, uh, love or anything. So if I were him, I would say, Mr. President, here's the National Treasury plan. Go to Parliament and make this a proclamation. Or here's my resignation letter. Choose which one you'll sign. TJ, how bad is the, the Moody's? It's not a downgrade, but it's certainly a ratings action. Mm. Um, it's the catenizer to a downgrade. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's <coughs> the precursor to a downgrade. I mean, first of all, what are markets expecting in terms oh. of how soon the downgrade might be and what are the probabilities of a downgrade? The funny thing is, I mean, if you speak to a lot of these investor types, it's priced in. Brazil is on junk mm. status, but they get cheaper credit than we do. So that means so, that when 
the down when it phase happens, because it's, it's maybe now a when, not shock. an if. Yeah. There's no market response. So what? what well, I think expecting? not nothing, but um, I mean, the, it's it's we're we're in panic for the last three four years about that. So it's probably already in there. I mean, that's the optimist in me speaking. Um, so yeah, let's see. I mean, end of this year. How long did they say to get this D to have? Three, three months, four months? So that takes us to the budget next Up year? Up to 12, really. But they, 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 they had a, quite a strong statement about the budget mm. next year had better yeah. deliver something. So that's what, yeah, that's not long. That's, that's February. Valentine's Day gift is, we say, uh, cuts, 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 taxes up. I mean, that's what they want. But, but yeah, yeah the, the question is, and this is the valid thing that everyone's saying, is, I mean, is that politically palatable? You can, can you punish the middle class with another tax hike now? Mm. Uh, Starting, Natasha, you've written your column about, um, and Sigurdi, I think you've also weighed in on, on these issues, this issue of, of, of the curbs in perks and pay for cabinet ministers. Mm. Um, now, that is not going to get Tito Mwini the $150 billion he needs, but how much resistance is there and how, how important? I mean, why does it matter? Does it matter? It Whether does. you've got an 800,000 rand car or a 1.2 million rand car. It, it does matter. You know, the, the, in, in the Business Times on Sunday, your front page lead was basically about the unions pushing back and saying, well, ministers are not making the sacrifices. Why should we? Um, and, and, you know, it would be a gesture, a grand gesture. To, from, from, it wouldn't cover the 150 billion, but it would make a statement and say, well, we're willing to make the sacrifices. As the rest of South Africa is doing, um, public se sector unions should do the same. Um, that's that, that for me. It's it's a no-brainer, and um, there was a considerable amount of resistance, in my understanding, to to those cuts uh, by ministers last week, um, just before the budget. Which is why uh, the, the finance minister didn't actually talk about budget um, salary cuts for ministers. What's also interesting is that the ministerial handbook, um, the review of the ministerial handbook, had to be sent back earlier this year by, by President Ramaphosa because the perks that he asked to be cut from that ministerial handbook hadn't been cut substantially enough. So it just shows that there's no political will to actually, um, you know, to cut the self-interest the, the, you know, uh, the, the self um, and the politics of the stomach that is so ingrained in our politicians. Sikonati, what, what, would, what would you like to see cabinet <coughs> ministers and other high-ranking officials do? What would one ideally see? So in, in, that's in my column here in the Financial Mail this week. The first thing to do immediately would be cut the pre to cut the president's salary by half and his deputy and every cabinet member and their deputy by 40%. That's their salary cut. That uh, my car costs less than 300,000 rands and it takes me everywhere at the speed and pace I want to get there. Why can't they do the same? 300,000 rands and, and you limit each cabinet minister to one vehicle. The president can have two and you, everybody must pay, uh, must pay market related rentals for these houses that we pay for on their behalf. Uh, wh why should they get these packs? Sell South African Airways, no one gets free free flights anyway. Yes, you definitely are not going to get ni anywhere near 150 billion rand. You are going to get a whole lot more in terms of the goodwill that will come. The investors will think 
damn, this thing may just work. These guys actually mean business. You move parliament from, from Cape Town, as we said, when we were very desperate in the face of uh, Moody's uh, cut to junk. Move the damn thing to Pretoria. And uh, each minister ha must pay rent in the house they live in. If you choose to live in your own house, you got a 300,000 rands car that we expect you, uh, that, that's more than enough uh, to do your job. Natasha, as a political editor, I have to ask you before we break quickly for the ad break, rugby, how important is that for the national psyche? Well, Does it make a difference? It's, it's crazy. Sport has always been important to us. I mean, the scenes yesterday, I, I was in the tears. The airport I mean, was astonishing. Fantastic. And it, it made us all realize why we love South Africa and why we are South African. That we can, you know, we can unite around um, a, a, a vision that was put forward by the Springboks when they lifted that cup on Saturday. So, no, it's not going to solve our inequality problems, our economic problems, but it is that gesture that we, that we actually were so in desperate need of. TJ Sassol has been in the news both because its two chief executives have stood down mm -hmm. uh, over its Lake Charles project and because it has again uh, refused to debate a climate change resolution by shareholder activists. Yes. What um, do we make of Sassol well, altogether on both scores? So the funny thing is the day that two uh, CEOs step down is also the day that Sassel released their climate change report. So it's, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a, a 3,000 page uh, you know, forensic investigation. It's, it's sort of a, it's, a it's, it's not that thick. But the, the thing is, they, they make quite big um, sort of commitments in that thing. Um, and sort of the investor unhappiness sort of predates them releasing that report. So it's, it's sort of a few funny things coming together. I think the investors wanted to be heard on, that, uh, on the AGM and Sasso flatly rejected it. So that seems to me a bit more of a procedural issue rather than what was, what was actually to be discussed. But, I mean, quite big commitments Sasso are making. They're saying, you know, 10% uh, down on carbon emissions by 2030, which is quite a lot for them because their Secunda plant is if not the biggest, one of the biggest single sites of uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the world. I mean, that's it's pretty significant. It makes you, you know, I mean, everyone in that part of the country is probably a little bit carbonated because of all of the, uh, all of the CO2 in the air. So, I mean, obviously they have to do something. I mean, the likes of Greta Thunberg is out there um, on a yacht putting pressure on, on anyone who pollutes. So, I mean, you have to be ahead of this thing if you, if you want to come out on the right way. So, I mean, it's not long before shareholder activists will, like, really start taking them to task. And Are then Lake Charles and those things will look like something small. Are we seeing, Rob Rose, a, a, a rise in shareholder activism on a whole variety of, of issues which had not been big shareholder issues before? Absolutely. I mean, I think we've seen so many resolutions, especially on remuneration, for example, been defeated like never before. We've had this wave of shareholder activism in the last two years, and I think it's the skepticism and cynicism of our corporate environment has ratcheted up amongst the institutional investors. So we've seen companies like Alan Gray, we've seen Old Mutual, we've seen the guys who always would have voted in favor of whatever the company said 10 years ago, um, now not agreeing to that, now not doing that. I think the PIC is still a bit, um, still a bit lapsadaisical in terms of the, them supporting resolutions they shouldn't, but you know, we really are living through a wave of shareholder act activism. And if you look at the resolutions of all the companies at recent AGMs, you'll see that. And I think the, the environment, if you don't take that seriously now, you're, you're far behind the curve. I know Sassel has been 
panicking over the last few days. I don't think they expected the, the degree of public outcry that there has been over this. And there's been some pushback to the absolutely. climate change report. Yeah, absolutely. And there, and there will be. I mean, these companies, um, these companies can't expect to just put out a few nice-looking glossy reports and just get away with it. And I think that's what they have been doing. Sassel, I mean, I've been going to the AGMs for for more than 10 years, and Sassel has always done that. They, make, they release a few platitudes. They say, we'll reduce our carbon emissions by 10% mm -hmm. by 2050, and we think that'll placate people, because mostly because the CEO who makes that promise will never be around by 2050. So it's easy to make a promise on someone else's behalf. You know, 20 years, 30 years down the line, the world's going to be completely different by then. Isn't that a, that's a bit of a problem in a sense that, 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 that these require kind of long-term commitments, Sikonati, but CEOs come and go. Well, companies uh, by their very nature are long-term beasts, so it's only fair that they should be long-term beasts. What shareholders should not allow to happen is we, we think, uh, for, for the companies to think they can only be evaluated at the end of 2050 or 2030 in this case, they have to be, uh, it has to be a gradual process. Uh, give, give us something in the next, uh, to measure you on, to, to see how much progress you're making towards meeting. It's, it's not going to be an event, it's a process. Climate change is, is a process, you have to, do this and leave it every day. Now they just make this big unrealistic promise and then disappear with big bucks, uh, golden handshakes as the two guys probably have. I think you'll see a certain degree of change when they link clawback provisions in remuneration <coughs> to whether they meet environmental goals. So a CEO this can leave Sassel's now. This new announcement exactly. where so they will link executive remuneration to climate change. But also I think there should goals. be clawback mechanisms. So you as a CEO can leave say in 2020, but if you don't meet a target in 2030, the company can come back and say, we're clawing this back because you didn't put in place the right processes. I think that's the kind of thing where you'll finally see some action because the current executives will be accountable to some extent for what happens with the legacy they leave behind. I think that'll change things. Exactly. So you put, you put the shares, for example, the share incentives in a trust, and they only get delivered as and when you meet those targets at that time, 20 years from now, or be that whatever it is, because you're not going to see very much enthusiasm from the, uh, the these consultants, that uh, the, the pay advisors, uh, executive remuneration advisors, they're not going to be very enthusiastic about that. They will find a way of uh, getting all their fee now, because you can't only hold uh, the board or the chief executive uh, against those targets. You also have to hold the consultant who actually dreamt up this, this, this thing. TJ, what are the other issues where shareholders are weighing in? Uh, at Sassel or generally? In general, in well, general, South Africa and the a, other companies. Where South Africa is an interesting place because you have lots of long-term chairmen and lots of long-term CEOs. So, I mean, remuneration and whether, whether there's adequate succession planning, that's also quite big. I mean, there's, there's an example earlier this week where, I mean, for the first time, properly, Christovice's sort of hold on ShopRite as chairman was contested. Um, I mean, he got through uh, because he has those deferred chairs, which, which, help, which helps him, you know, carry the vote. But, um, I mean, what, what was it, Rob? Was it like something like 60% were against him being re-elected mm, as chairman? It was a shocker. I mean, it was, it was the antithesis of, of democracy. Yeah. In, terms of, in terms of his own 
being re-elected as chairman. Mm. I mean, because he has these deferred shares, which essentially gives him a free 30% of the vote. Yes. So the people who voted for him in the ordinary shares were about 38% of yes, the vote, so of which he controls 10. So effectively, 28% of the other shareholders, just 28% oh, re-elected him as chairman. And that, that is, is dissatisfaction of the fact that a couple of months ago, ShopRite tried to buy his deferred shares for him for a massive sum. I think the figure was 3.4 billion. And they felt, the shareholders felt like this is a conflict of interest. Your chairman is trying to get the company to fork over a lot of money. And minority shareholders aren't protected. People are always looking out for the chairman's interests. So I think that created a lot of disquiet at ShopRite. And I think this week, Christo Visa felt, felt the wrath from that. The, the headline figure there to mention is that 60% of ordinary shareholders voted against him. But then how effective is shareholder activism if in the end something like this with Kerbis Visa happens? So you can be like 60% don't want me. He goes, ha ha. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Chris, do. And then he goes, ha ha, but I've got these deferred shares, so I'm staying. But those deferred shares are not a common thing. It's considered bad governance to put in place these archaic control structures that aren't equal. So companies aren't allowed to do it anymore when they list. It's the legacy the of the fact that from ShopRite had them in, listed in 2000, mm. and the companies that had them, it's, it's viewed very badly by shareholders. You it's mean Pick and Pay poor. had it Pick back and then, yeah, Stanley, oh, sorry, uh, Liberty, Liberty, and, and they, they, they've, they've all held, had them, but uh, the ShopRite one is the last at this mm. point, and, and as you can see, the, the pressure on Christovici to get rid of, of, of those, in fact, he may just walk away with nothing, if the pressure for the Steinhoff and other matters really gets to him so that he sells to below 10%. Doesn't of, he have of, enough of money? Can't he just leave them behind? He did lose 59 billion in Steinhoff, which is a lot of money for you and me. Yes, but for him, is it? What you keep for the petty his, cash? Half his wealth. I mean, that's oh. a, yeah, that's a big chunk. He's quite leveraged, isn't he? So, <laughs> I mean, you don't know. so some banks lost a lot of money yes. too. Jen, speaking of activism, Genevieve, going to the popular topic of etols. Uh, the budget, Tito Mbweni said in the budget that there was no question ETOLs were going to stay. Um, now, does this open up a new wave of activism, number one? And number two, how much money can they hope to raise at this point? I think so, because it was actually quite confusing. So Tito says at the budget, that's it, we're paying ETOLs, user pay stays. And, but Cabinet was meant to make a decision, a announcement on Thursday. Thursday came and Cabinet said... Well, the task team put together by Sol Ramaphosa earlier this year, after the fight between Tito Mboweni and David Makuda, the Gauteng Premier, over, over um, ETOS, which happened all on social media, this task team with Makuda, Tito, and Transport Minister... And you said uh, Ramaphosa put together another task team. Another task team, yes. To deal with ETOS. <laughs> to deal with ETOS. <laughs> and now he's, today he's at another task team incentive. Yes. To deal with investment. I've lost track. Do you, have you kept track of how many task teams there are? Oh, way too An many. In interministerial committee. What is the outcome? Of these task teams. So well, talk about the outcome ETOs. of this task team apparently is that they went to the cabinet and said, "Here are seven options we have to how to deal with ETOs. One of them being scrap it. One of them being keep it as it is, a hybrid model, a whole a whole set of of selling the debt book. But who would want to buy the debt book?" And cabinet goes, "Oh, uh, maybe you should go back and discuss these some more." 
And then Fakil and Balula gives a press briefing and says Cabinet will decide that Tasi must go back. Cabinet is going to look at all this. And in two weeks' time, Cabinet will make a decision. So that, But in all of this, he tells two us... Two weeks from now. So two weeks from last week, Thursday. So I would say probably by, in, by next week's Cabinet meeting, Cabinet should give us a decision on this. But the issue is, are people going to pay? Because I think that... And it was Outer who actually started as, as a, a lobby group against ETOS, said... If they keep ETOs, the war with citizens will continue. And at this stage, what Fakil and Balula said last Thursday is that 62 billion rand is owed to Sanrail for ETOL bills. 62 billion rand. What happens to that money? What chance Rob Rose of, of, of ever seeing that money? I don't think that's going to happen because, I mean, at the moment, the figures they gave were that there's 25 to 30 percent compliance. And to me, that sounds too high. Um, Given I think how it's not I know that high. the people in this panel are a little bit averse to I'm a pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. You don't pay e yeah. You don't have a car. I don't know. Well, I, I, I live somewhere where I don't have to use the you highway ever. And the then countries. I use the use the Gauw train when, when you could wear your Springbok jersey and use it for free. You still Allegedly. walk through the countries. <laughs> No, 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 no. I don't have a tag. I don't have a tag. <laughs> but it plays into the, into the wider sense of dissatisfaction with rising, um, rising demands on, on citizens. And I think this is an, other, an extra demand, and people are saying that that's too much. I mean, this has been too much for years Six now, years. to an extent where we haven't had, um, we haven't had growth in the economy. It's, it's definitely too much now. If it was too much five years ago, it's, it's way too much now. Well, yeah, and, and, and I mean, it's, a, it's sort of the opposite of a stimulating effect. If you go and rake in... 10,000 rand from whatever, divide 62 billion by that many people. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like taking away money that they could have spent on shoes or whatever, which would have been good for mm. the economy, maybe. And that is all we have time for. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.